And as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she shall be made well. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she rose up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Our Father in heaven, we know that Christ has power, power to heal, power to deliver from darkness, power to do what we need in our life. Lord, we know that these examples presented are for our benefit, for our spiritual benefit, knowing that because he has this power to heal physically, all the more does he have the power to heal spiritually. We pray, Lord, that you'll show us your word, show us the power of Christ, the character of Christ, and his ministry to us, and show us the various implications and truths of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this passage, we have two healings, the healings of two women, one young and one old. The young one is uh, 12 years old when she's sick to the point of death and then dies as Jesus approaches. And the other one had been in her sickness for 12 years. Well, these two miracles show and bring up a couple of uh, several issues, actually. One is, here are further examples of the Lord's ministry to women. The Lord's ministry to women. This shows that the Lord cares for women. In a world where many religions and philosophies denigrate and abuse and mistreat women, the Bible does not do so. Jesus does not do so here. Nowhere else does the Bible do so. Not even in the Old Testament, which will be one of the issues that skeptics raise about the Bible, saying that the Old Testament denigrates women, but the New Testament uplifts them. That's not true. The whole Bible treats them the same way, has honor and, and gives them their due place. They have different roles in life, but they have the same value as men because they are also created in the image of God. This passage reminds us of that example. It also reminds us that 
the one healing is done secretly because it was a hemorrhage, but the other one was done openly in the sense that people could see that that 12-year-old girl was actually raised from the dead. She had died and everybody knew it and they were bewailing that fact and then Jesus heals. So what God does, whether in secret or in the open, it's all by His power and His grace and He gives many examples for us to trust in Him and to trust that He has the ability to deliver us from our afflictions. Let's see in verse 40. 40 to 42. We are introduced to this young girl. Verse 40, And as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed Him, for they had all been waiting for Him. They were waiting for Him. They had gone, he had gone away from their place. He returns. And why are they waiting for Him? Why is it that the multitudes are waiting for Him? If we read carefully Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the multitudes are typically waiting for Jesus or surrounding Him, following Him, because they love spectacles. They love to be dazzled by His miracles. That's why they come. They want to benefit from those miracles, and they also want to see them and experience them in the lives of other people to see the miraculous power that Christ has. They are, in other words, not coming because they want to hear the Word of God and obey it. Come and see a magic trick. They want to come and see a magic trick. That's what they want. They don't want the hard truth of the gospel. Well, 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had, only, uh, he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. This synagogue official, this ruler or leader of the synagogue named Jairus here, of the Jewish synagogue, he knows about Christ, so he comes pleading for the mercy of Christ. He falls at Jesus' feet, which is a right and good thing to do. He has the right attitude. The multitudes, they're pressing against Christ. They're just following. But he has a humble attitude. There is a difference. Of all the people in the multitudes, why is it that only he is falling down at Jesus' feet? Shouldn't they all be doing that? Shouldn't they all be begging Christ for mercy, whether for spiritual or physical afflictions, but especially for a spiritual He's the only one who does so and wants Jesus to come to his house because he, this man, this father of an only daughter, knows that his daughter is about to die. We don't know what the nature of the illness was, but she is about to die. It says, and she was dying. And when Jesus goes there, on the way there, a report comes to him that she's already died. It's too late. You can't do anything about it. So don't worry. Don't come. And it says here, but as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. Why won't the multitudes just let him go? Why don't you go? Don't you care about a little 12-year-old girl who is about to die and Jesus has power to go heal her? They don't care about that. They just want to press on, press against Christ and be near Christ. They're not humbling themselves like Jairus and they're not concerned about this only girl. Who's concerned about the girl? Jesus is and the Father is. And presumably the mother too, as we know later from the passage that she's also there. 43. Now, while he's on the way to Jairus' house where the girl is about to die, in the multitudes, one other woman approaches. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, verse 43, 
and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him. She had this hemorrhage for 12 years, this flow of blood, it would not stop. This would have been miserable for 12 years to suffer this affliction. It doesn't specify exactly what kind of hemorrhage it was, but can you imagine <clears throat> this sickness, this illness for 12 years, and it says, and could not be healed by anyone. No physicians, no one, no one could help her. This is not necessarily a knock against physicians and doctors. It's not necessarily that, though we do know that many of them are charlatans, just like in every profession. You have some charlatans and some who know what they're doing. They have skill and knowledge and handle their profession properly. That's not necessarily what's happening here. I think what's happening here is this note, and could not be healed by anyone, is serving here to show the heightened desperation that she had. That she had heightened desperation to be healed, and no one could help her, and also to show the power of God. What's impossible with men is possible with God. Luke 18 27, Jesus says these words, What's impossible with men is possible with God. That's why we're told that she could not be healed by anyone, because Jesus will, and then we will know God is able to do so. And as well, to show that the Bible is not against the use of physicians normally and daily, Colossians 4.14 calls Luke, the, the, the author of this book and the book of Acts, Paul calls him in Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician. The beloved physician. He himself was a medical doctor. And in 1 Timothy 5.23, it says, No longer drink water exclusively for your frequent stomach ailments, but take a little wine. But take a little wine. Instead of drinking only water for Timothy, drink some wine for your frequent ailments to heal your malady. That's the advice Paul gives, which is a medicinal remedy. Next, it says in 44, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. Here she touches his cloak, the fringe of it, which would likely have been at the, at the bottom of it because in Numbers 15 it says that the, the people were supposed to wear a cloak or a garment that had tassels on it and touch the fringe of it and that was a reminder of the great commandments of God for them to obey the commandments of God. It was just a visible reminder to do so and Jesus presumably he was wearing such a garment and she just wanted to touch it because she had faith and she believed somehow, perhaps by the Holy Spirit, that she just needed to touch him and she would be fine. It doesn't say anywhere, there's no command or practice to do these things, but it must have been something revealed to her or that she just was so desperate she just wanted to touch him and, and praying that God would just heal her if she was able to touch him. And 45, Jesus is asking, who touched me? He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking so that the woman can reveal herself and that it can become public knowledge that she has been healed. Because that was a secret healing. The multitudes are all touching him in some way, one way or another, but she touched him in a special way, and Jesus knew that, in faith and especially, and there was power that went out of him. 
as it says in verse 46, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. He wants the people to see that this woman was ill and now she's healed. So she, he wants her to speak up. And Peter, Peter says, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. That's not the issue. The issue wasn't whether a lot of people were touching him, but who was the one touching him in a special way in faith? So, verse 47, And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. You see, perhaps it was a hemorrhage in uh, her, her private parts, and so she didn't want to openly talk about it, openly say something like that. So she didn't want to make it a scene. Of course, if people are embarrassed to talk about those things. Men or women, they would be uh, afraid to talk about those things publicly, so she didn't say it. But now that Jesus is calling attention to her, she comes trembling and falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Perhaps she is trembling because she's afraid that Jesus would be upset at her, disappointed at her. He's, she's not sure whether he's favorable toward her, but he is, of course. He is because he healed her and because of verse 48, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She, she is confirmed in her faith. He calls her a daughter. And elsewhere, Jesus has ex explained that she is a daughter of Abraham, or a woman is a daughter of Abraham if she has faith, uh, faith in the gospel. So this is the kind of daughter she is. She's not just a regular daughter, anybody's daughter, but she's a daughter of faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Giving her verbal confirmation that she had done the right thing. It was good that she believed. And manifesting to all the people. That's the more important one. Declaring in the presence of all the people. She declared what had happened. And he declares that what she has experienced was good and right in the sight of God. He confirms it so that nobody can dispute it. Nobody should dispute it. She can go away in peace. 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Now here we have uh, a naysayer of sorts. We have some critic of sorts, some unbeliever, because he says, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Wait a minute, didn't Jesus heal others, at least one other, before this incident? In Luke chapter 4, didn't he heal someone and, and raise, uh, Luke, no, Luke 7, 7, 11 to 17, the widow's son at Nain, at Nain, which would have also been up in that northern region where he was ministering. <clears throat> So this man, I find it hard to believe he didn't know about that, but he's not believing that Jesus could or would do it again. Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. As though Jesus does not have the power of death. Of course he does. 
So verse 50. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she shall be made well. She shall be made well, meaning she'll be raised from the dead. Don't be afraid. It requires faith. Remember, Romans 14.23 says, Whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So, it requires faith for God to be pleased. And that's why he's repeating this truth. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please him. To truly please God, believe, and God will do according to his will. Which is James 4.13-17 Say, if the Lord wills, and then we can pursue what we want to pursue. 51. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Only these five, the parents, because they would have immediate concern, and they would also be able to testify as witnesses. There's two of them. The, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact is to be confirmed. So the parents could be there to confirm, yes, our daughter was dead. This is our daughter. We know what happened to her. She died. And then they can report to the people in their community. And then the disciples, three of them, Jesus' favorite three, Peter, James, and John. They are there. Peter, John, and James are present so that they can be a regular witness to the others. When they go from place to place, these three, as it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact is to be confirmed, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, there, they will also be able to go wherever Jesus goes from then on, and even after Jesus' ascension, they can go and preach and teach that this miracle occurred and they saw it happen. No one can dispute it. 52. And now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. Normally, people weep, and that, that's not the problem here. The weeping and the lamenting is not the problem. Whether the, it's the family or the friends or even the professional mourners who guide the people in, in mourning, not, that's not the problem. The problem is that when Jesus says, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep, he's calling on them to contemplate what he's saying and is about to do. After all, the master's there. The master who had healed many people before, the master who had just healed this woman who had this sickness for 12 years, on the way there to the house, and he's the one who says she has not died but is asleep. Jesus meant this in terms of resurrection. He was about to raise her up from the dead. Correct? But this metaphor of, a, of being asleep is a common biblical metaphor. The Bible uses this, whether it's in this case a temporary death or it's death in the regular sense, but then in comparison to the day of resurrection, our temporary death now and then on the day of resurrection, we will awake from the dead. That's what Daniel 12.2 says. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground, it says sleep, sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. For there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. 
uh, Acts 24, 15. Right? Resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. The Bible speaks of this death as sleep. Another example is John 11, 11 to 14. Lazarus, Jesus said of Lazarus, don't worry, he's just asleep. And they also didn't understand what he said. Then he plainly told them, he is dead. I know he is dead. But you'll see the glory of God. Okay? Uh, when Stephen died, Stephen in Acts 7, 60, after, when he was stoned to death, it says that he fell asleep. They fell asleep, and then the disciples in Acts chapter 8 came and took his body and buried him. He fell asleep in that sense because he was going to die temporarily because on the day of resurrection he will rise from the dead. So in that metaphorical and spiritual sense, the Bible says we are asleep. Two other passages for, you, for your reference. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. These passages speak of death as sleep. And both passages are contexts of resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 are contexts of resurrection. Well, these people don't understand. Verse 53 tells us, And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. Think about it. Think about this obstinate, blind unbelief of the people. A woman was just healed, who had a sickness for 12 years. Others had been healed. The demoniac and other people had been healed. A boy had been raised from the dead in Luke chapter 7. There are several miracles that have already occurred, and the report of his miracles spread throughout all the region. People kept on talking and talking about it. People knew, but notice here, there is unbelief. They began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. This is the way unbelievers respond to the Word of God. The Word of God said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep, intimating that he's about to raise her up from the dead. But they don't believe. And people who don't believe, they laugh at believers. No matter how much they say they are tolerant of us, they are more gracious and loving than us, they show more mercy and kindness than us, it's not true. It's not true in the sight of God. In the sight of God, they are the people who laugh when they shouldn't be laughing. And they laugh at us, we who believe in the Bible. Verse 54. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. That's all he had to say. He didn't even have to say that, but he said that for the purpose of the hearers to witness it, to hear it and witness it. He could have just, he didn't even have to touch her. But he touched her as a, a token of compassion and concern for her. He touched her, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Child, arise. And that's what happens. 55, And her spirit returned, and she rose up immediately, immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her spirit returned. The Bible speaks of us having a, a material nature, our bodies, and an immaterial nature, our spirits or souls. We are both physical and non-physical. In the sense that her spirit returned, when the body dies, the spirit departs. And the Bible uses that terminology, that the spirit departs. And in this case, because a miracle is occurring, the spirit returned to the body. 
James 2.26, For just as the spirit, uh, the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So, just as the body without the spirit is dead. When the spirit leaves the body, the body is dead. Rachel, it says of Rachel in Genesis 35.18, when she was dying, giving birth, it says, her soul departed. Her soul departed when she was giving birth to Benjamin. Ecclesiastes 12.7, Then the dust will return to the ground from which it was taken, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. The dust or the body goes to the ground, and then the Spirit goes to be with God. Acts 7.59, Stephen said to Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my Spirit, which means His Spirit's departing from the earth and going to be with Christ, and His body's going to be buried by the disciples. Philippians 1.23, he says, Paul says that he has the desire to depart and be with Christ. We know he'll be buried, his body will be, but his spirit will depart and be with Christ. That's what's happening here too. We have these two basic and essential components to our nature, the physical and the non-physical, which is important today because many people deny the, the spiritual or the non-physical part and say we're just material objects, we're just flesh and bones with some animation. We have animation with flesh and bones and that's all we are. That's not true. We have the spiritual or unseen nature as well. Then he orders for something to be given her to eat. Those who have life, they eat, right? That's a basic sign that there is health. That's what we want from the infant, the newborn. We want the infant to drink the milk of the mother. And when the newborn is doing so, then we know there is health. And as long as we are alive, we eat. And then close to death, when somebody's clo close to dying on his deathbed, usually he wants less and less food, desires less and less food. But in this case, to give proof that she is healthy, that she's alive, that she's regular, give something for her to eat. This is also what Jesus said upon his resurrection, to prove to the disciples that he was really alive, that he was alive and immortal, he had a physical body, he ate with his disciples. John 21, Luke 24, he had meals with his disciples over a period of 40 days. Well, verse 56 says, And her parents were amazed. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. They have the right response. They are amazed. Anyone would be amazed, should be amazed. They have the proper and right response. Others have had this response as well. In this case, he instructs them to tell no one what had happened. On occasion, Jesus tells the one who's experienced the miracle to keep quiet. On occasion, he does that. And it may be that he does so according to the circumstances that he discerns in order to prevent what we read in John 6. In John 6, 15, after he had uh, performed the feeding of the 5,000, what did the 5,000 men, plus women and children, what did they want to do? In John 6, 15, it says, Jesus therefore perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, 
withdrew again to the mountain by, by himself alone. He withdraws again to the mountain by himself alone because they want to make him king by force. To avoid that, to avoid any kind of premature confrontation with the Romans, because if, he, if they're going to make him king, there's going to be a confrontation with the Romans. To prevent anything premature, he, he does this and he calls on the disciples to watch it. And in John, if we have read John lately, he has this refrain, for his hour had not yet come. For his hour had not yet come. Why? He was doing this or that, but this or, the other thing, the consequence, the severe consequences of doing those things had not happened yet because it wasn't time. And then in John chapters 18 and 19, his hour comes and he dies on the cross. This is probably what's happening here. Instructs them to tell no one what had happened. Of course, until it's time, and until a later time, when he uh, has died, has risen from the dead, and ascends to heaven. But meantime, let things happen as God has ordained them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll show us how we also need to have faith and not be concerned uh, what the multitudes are saying and doing, even when they laugh and even when they have no concern for the things of God. May we bow down. May we entreat you. May we plead for you to intervene in our life and to help us in our time of need. We know, Lord, that you are merciful, you're gracious, you're kind and loving towards your own people. We pray that you'll answer our prayers. <coughs> and may you answer them according to your will and for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.